Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Well, hey, welcome. Thanks for joining me. I am Chris Shandro, the pastor at Compass. Super glad that you're with me because we have a lot to cover today. So let's just start by having a little bit of fun. I want to ask you some riddles, some brain teasers. Okay, so so let's see how you do. Uh, Let's start a little bit easy, though, so we can get our feet wet. Okay, you ready? Here's the first one. What month of the year has 28 days? 28 days in that month. The answer? All of them. They all do. Okay, here's another. Uh, What is full of holes but still holds water? The answer? A sponge. How about this? You see a boat filled with people, yet there isn't a single person on board. How is that possible? Tough one. It's possible because all the people on the boat are married. They're not single. The reason riddles like this work is that they do what I call the old switcheroo. They present a question that on the surface seems pretty simple, but then they subvert our expectations by switching the premise of the question. That's why a riddle about a single person works, because we automatically think of a single person as one individual rather than a person who isn't in a relationship. Someone played the old switcheroo with the meaning of the word single when they wrote that riddle. Jesus also played the old switcheroo a lot in his stories and his teachings about God and about God's kingdom. In fact, Jesus was often accused of speaking in riddles, even by his own disciples, because he regularly subverted people's expectations of who God was and how God worked. I mean, this whole message series that we're in right now is based on one of these key premises, that the kingdom of God is one of downward mobility. That the way to be first is to be last. The way to be great is to become the least. And that doesn't fit the way the world works. It subverts that expectation. And yet over and over again, that's how Jesus described the way that his followers would live. Now, last week we saw this played out when we talked about a rich man who asked Jesus how to find eternal life in the kingdom of God. And Jesus, in addition to telling him to follow all the commands, he told him to sell all he had and give it to the poor, essentially trading his wealth for poverty and then becoming poor himself. And the man refused, and and Jesus said that it's really hard for a rich person to enter in the kingdom of heaven because it's hard to give up what makes us feel safe and secure, the thing that moves us up the ladder of life. And it's in the context of all of this that Peter then asks Jesus a question and that Jesus does the old switcheroo. And we start in Matthew 19, verse 27. This is what happens. It says, Then Peter said to him, We've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? So the rich man is left. He's refused to sell all his stuff. And then Peter says, "You know, Jesus, that rich guy, he wasn't willing to give up what he valued, but we did. I mean, we left our jobs, our homes, our families to follow you. So what are we going to get in return? So if that sounds like a self-centered question, it's because it kind of is. But we can't really blame Peter too much. I mean, he and the other disciples, they gave up a lot to follow Jesus. Unlike the rich man that, that they just saw walk away from Jesus, they'd made real sacrifices. And this is as good a time as any to probe Jesus for the rewards that they're going to get out of it, right? The story continues in verse 28. Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who's given up houses or brothers or sister or father or mother or children or property for my sake 
will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. It seems like that normally Jesus would call his disciples out for thinking selfishly or asking a question like this, but he doesn't do that here. In fact, Jesus starts listing off all the things that the disciples were hoping to hear. He says, when my kingdom comes into power, you guys are going to be in charge. You'll be the top 12 guys ruling over everyone else. You're going to have thrones and you're going to have wealth a hundred times greater than what you've lost to follow me. I mean, you'll, you'll have all the greatness that you could ever have dreamed of. I had a friend a long time ago who used to lay this trap that I would get caught up in every single time. And so it would start with me talking about something that I really liked or enjoyed. So take, for example, the new Chick-fil-A honey pepper pimento sandwich. You know, I might say something like, man, have you guys tried this honey pepper pimento sandwich? I know it looks weird, but it's really good. And he would say, oh yeah, it's so good. And I would get excited because we're starting to share something special. And I'd be like, dude, seriously, I just love this sandwich. I cannot believe how great it is. And he'd be like, right? I mean, it is the best. And then I'd get more excited because he's getting me so pumped. And, and I'd say, you know, it might be one of the best things on their menu. I mean, it's crazy. I can't believe it's true, but it is. You know what? We should stop at the next Chick-fil-A and totally get one. And he'd look right in my face with the biggest smile. And he'd go, Pfft. he didn't care about the sandwich at all. He just thought it was funny to get me really hyped about something and then look at my face and go, right when I was peak excited. He played the old switcheroo on me. And to be fair, it sounds mean, but honestly, it was hilarious when he did it to other people. I just thought it was so funny. But in some ways, I imagine that Jesus is doing kind of the same thing here. I mean, Peter asks, you know, what are we going to get for making sacrifices? And I imagine Jesus saying, oh my gosh, guys, you're going to love this. You're going to be famous leaders and you're going to be in charge of everyone else. And the disciples are like, no way, that's awesome. And then Jesus is like, yeah, totally. But that's not all. You're going to have thrones and wealth and all sorts of cool stuff. And the disciples are like, seriously? Oh my gosh, Jesus, we're so excited. And then Jesus is like, yeah, you should be because nobody's given as much as you guys have to follow me. So nobody deserves as much of a reward as you do. And the disciples are like, oh man, really, Jesus? Jesus? I mean, I thought that's how it would be, that, that we're going to get, you know, great, awesome things, and we're going to be important and awesome in the kingdom of someday. I mean, it's going to be so awesome. And then Jesus looks right in their faces with a big smile, and he goes, Pfft. now let me show you why it feels like Jesus said that. Look at the next thing that Jesus says after hyping these guys up over the great rewards that, that they care so much about. Look at verse 30. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. Now, I don't think Jesus was trying to be mean or trick the disciples into looking stupid like my friend liked to do with the... <clears throat> I mean, I think Jesus, he pulled the old switcheroo on the disciples because he wanted to make a bigger point about God and his kingdom. It's like Jesus is saying, you guys want rewards? Oh yeah, I mean, there's gonna be great rewards. And yeah, you guys have worked so hard for them, but let me show you what that really looks like. And then to illustrate what it means that the greatest now will be the least important then, and, and that those who seem least important now will be greatest then, Jesus tells them a story. Now buckle up, it's long, but we're gonna tell the whole thing. 
In Matthew 20, verse 1, it starts this way. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and he sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and he saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them and he told them that he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in his vineyard. And at noon and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and he saw some more people standing around and he asked them, why haven't you been working today? And they replied, because no one's hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. And when those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed that they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. And when they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked for only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us, who worked all day in the scorching heat. And he answered one of them, friend, haven't, have I, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? And then Jesus wraps it up. So in this regard, those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. If we're being honest, what happens in the story, I mean, it just isn't fair. A landowner hires people at different times of the day, and so they all do different amounts of work, from a full day of labor to just an hour of labor. But then he pays them all the exact same amount. This is offensive to our sense of justice because the reward isn't equal to the work. The people hired last, they didn't earn it. They basically just showed up and got paid. So how does that explain the kingdom of God, how the least are the greatest? Well, let me walk you through three things that I think this story says about God and how he works in our lives. And the first thing is that God rewards showing up. This is the hard part for us to get our heads around, but God doesn't reward the amount or the quality of the work we do. He rewards our willingness to do it. This is a key thing Jesus wants his disciples to understand because honestly, they worked more hours than anyone else. They traveled with Jesus. They did all the work of following him more closely than anyone else. They gave up the most, and therefore they deserved the greatest reward. In their minds, they'd sacrificed the most, so they deserved the most in return. But Jesus pulled the old switcheroo on them to make sure that they understood that a place in his kingdom, it isn't about how much you do or how hard you work or how talented you are or how much you know. I mean, just in the church, the pastor who's dedicated his life to serving God for years is at no more of an advantage than the person who says yes to Jesus for the first time, whose life is a sin-filled disaster. It doesn't matter when or how someone accepts Jesus' invitation to follow. God rewards those who show up, whether you've worked eight hours 
or one. Which then brings us to the second thing that we can learn about God from this story. God doesn't pay wages. He gives gifts. At the end of Jesus' story, the landowner said, I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? Think about it. Kindness isn't a factor at all in getting paid at work. You do the job, you get paid for it. Your boss could be a total jerk, but that doesn't affect who gets paid and how much. Kindness doesn't enter into that transaction at all. But kindness is a factor when it comes to giving gifts. When it comes to giving us good things, kindness is what motivates God. And this highlights the difference between how the world works and how God works. See, the world is based on a wage economy. You earn what you get, and you get what you deserve. But the kingdom of God is based on a gift economy. You don't deserve what you get, and you get what you haven't earned. I mean, look at how the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans 6.23. He says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice that it doesn't say the wages of sin is death, but God's wages are eternal life. No, it doesn't say wages at all about God. It says the gift of God, because God doesn't deal in wages. That's a sin economy that causes us to think that we can earn God's favor by what we do. And it also puts one person over another, because I'm better than them. I worked harder than them, so my reward should be greater. Now, this works in the world because merit and hard work, those are okay ways to place people on the ladder of success but it will always leave people behind who can't earn as well. And that's why God doesn't deal in wages. He gives gifts. We can't earn his love and affection. We certainly can't earn the life that he offers through Jesus. And whether you're rich or poor, smart or dumb, capable of great things or unable to perform the simplest of things, God's gift of life is freely available to each of us in the exact same quantity Because God gives out of kindness, not obligation. Because God doesn't pay wages. He gives gifts. And then there's the final thing that wraps all of this up. And it's that God helps those who can't help themselves. Think about this. Why were the people hired at 5 o'clock not working? We tend to assume it's because they're lazy. That they were laying around all day until they finally showed up to work late in the afternoon. But take a second look, Matthew 20, verse 6 through 7. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again, and he saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? And they replied, because no one hired us. These people weren't lazy. They just weren't chosen. They were the people who were too old or too weak or too sick to work. They weren't still in the market because they were lazy and didn't want to work. Rather, they were there because nobody hired them, because nobody wanted them. The world promotes this idea that that people have not because they want not, that people are poor because they're lazy, or that addiction is the result of moral weakness, or that disability is caused by bad choices, that people earn what they get and they get what they deserve. That's why they're last in line. That's why they're at the bottom of the ladder. But the truth is, is that some people can't help themselves. Whether it's physical, emotional, psychological, financial, even spiritual, 
There are people who struggle so much in these areas of their lives that they just can't get up on their own. And yet God, he still chooses them. Because we're all equal before a God who rewards us for showing up, who gives gifts instead of paying wages, and who helps those who can't help themselves. At the end of all of this is, at the heart, a message about the love and grace of God. God's grace isn't something that you can work for, that you can negotiate, or that you can store up for yourself. It isn't a thing that one person can have a lot of while another person only gets a little. And what we get out of serving God and his kingdom, it isn't a wage at all because God doesn't deal in contracts. He deals in covenants. His relationship with us isn't that of a boss to an employee, but of a parent to a child. And while not everyone may have equal roles or wages in business, everyone is equally loved and welcomed in a family where they're given the free gift of belonging. You may be here and you are like the disciples. You may struggle with the fact that you've done all the right things, you've lived all the right ways, and done all the the best, while people who haven't done those things still get a free ride. And maybe you see it in the world where you're frustrated that people who don't work as hard as you, you know, get free money from the government or get a free pass when it comes to the rules that you followed they haven't. Or maybe it's in the church where people who don't work as hard to please God seem to have a charmed life while you're struggling. And if that's you, perhaps you need a fresh experience of God's unconditional love and kindness that he's offered to you. And maybe you need to ask God to help you offer that same grace to others. But you may be be, uh, not like those, but you may be like the unhired workers, not wanted, not valued in the world or or in the church, where the people who get ahead are those who are more talented and more capable. You feel unchosen and left out of things because of the hand that life has dealt you, or maybe even your own choices. But the good news is you don't have to earn your way into God's love or community. You just have to show up and let him show you his kindness and allow him to do what you can't. The invitation to join his family, it isn't dependent on what you can do or what you have done. It's simply based on his love for you. So may we be a people who are full of equality, inclusion, and grace, just like Jesus is. Who understand that even though we can't earn his love and grace, that it's still given freely through the kindness of God. May we have the courage to take the step toward him, showing up to receive his gift. And may we have the strength to put down our own desire for personal reward and instead celebrate when God's gifts are freely given to others. Let our church and community be one where the last are first and the least become the greatest, where the last get to come to the front of the line even though they don't deserve it, even though they haven't earned it. And may they get the same full reward that we get from God simply because God is loving and kind. And may we be just as loving and kind ourselves as we live out the kingdom of God, as we live like Jesus lived, think like he thought, and do what he taught. Thanks for joining me, and I can't wait to see you next time. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.